We are, I guess, probably over halfway now through our series on Christian warfare, which we've called No Retreat, No Surrender. Um, so if you're kind of just visiting today, um, you're coming straight into the middle of something, so I'll do my best to give some background, but just bear in mind you're coming right in the middle of something, So, but I'm sure there'll be something in here for you. We trust that God will help us with that regard. We're springing out of a passage um, in the Bible called Ephesians, a book called Ephesians written by the Apostle Paul, chapter 6 of that, of that letter and going from verse 10. So if you have a Bible with you, you can follow it. I think it's going to come up on the screen anyway, so it should come up behind us if you don't have a Bible with you. So let's read God's Word together. I'm going to read from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armour of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And the shoes for your feet have been put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. The part of the passage we're focusing on today, we will find um, together in verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This whole idea is taken from uh, Roman warfare. Where if you've, if you've seen the film Gladiator, then you'll remember in the opening scene there's a battle and um, the Romans are fighting, I think it's, I think it's the Germans, and, um, and they use these terrifying arrows that are dipped, it's alright Nat, um, <laughs> that are dipped, uh, <laughs> dipped in highly inflammable, uh, inflammable um, liquid and then set fire to, and then, and then they're fired. And obviously the whole idea being that you don't just get pierced with an arrow, you get taken apart. Um, an arrow lands inside of you that is on fire. And I think in, I think in um, one of the scenes, I mean the arrow picks the man off the floor and almost impales him to a tree. It's powerful stuff. So the image that's being used here, uh, the word dart is used. Um, don't have the image of darts in your mind at this point. It's a very different idea. We're talking hardcore arrows fired very powerfully on fire um, with the aim to land inside of the opponent and cause serious damage. So this is the idea, the imagery that Paul is using. We're talking about Christian warfare, spiritual warfare, the reality of the war that we are engaged in as believers. And um, we're not, we are not engaged in warfare against other kinds of people of different beliefs, or religions, or anything like that. That's not what our warfare is against. Paul makes that clear. Not flesh and blood. But then he goes into this list. He describes it in these various ways, using terms like uh, authorities, um, 
cosmic powers over this present darkness. He's talking about various uh, spiritual powers that are set against God. Okay, so that's the idea of Christian warfare, um, and that's what we're getting, that's what the whole series is really about. Now, I'm going to say something that some of you might find surprising, so I'll have to explain it a little bit. But I want to start by saying this: I reckon that no matter where you're at in this room, no matter what you believe um, about God and Jesus, all of us have probably, to some degree or another, experienced the flaming darts of the evil one. I believe that we all do, humanity as a whole. It's just that maybe we, uh, well there's two things I want to say about it. Firstly, that maybe we just interpret it differently. So when I'm talking about Christian warfare and you know warfare against evil spiritual powers, some of you here in this room, especially if you don't really believe in the Bible and that sort of stuff, you're probably thinking, this stuff sounds so far-fetched. What I want to say to you is this, you've probably experienced this, but your interpretation of what it is, is not that. You've probably, you've probably put it down to something else. But I think that all of us, somehow or another, experience the flaming darts of the evil one. There's a very famous um, uh, preacher called Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, Much that passes among Christians now as psychological problems is essentially spiritual. And due to a lack of spiritual understanding. The Apostle Paul emphasises that the spiritual warfare must be fought in a spiritual manner. Now I think it's quite understandable if you're here and you don't believe in the Bible and God and spiritual realities or however you'd put it, if you, if you, then that you would interpret these flaming arrows as something psychological or maybe you put it down to karma or maybe you'd interpret it a bit more superstitiously but you certainly wouldn't interpret it this way. But for a believer, for someone who's had their whole worldview and their whole understanding of reality overhauled by the gospel, then actually it's quite remarkable how dull we often are to the warfare that we're in. That it can be going on around us and being aimed at us, and we, it can be almost the last thing we get to. I've kind of, you know, I've assumed it's, you assume it's everything but the devil, and then when there's no other options left, you say, maybe that's what's going on. Now, by the same token, the last thing you want is Christians who are always talking about the devil. He does not deserve that kind of attention. But at the other end of the spectrum, which is I think where probably we're more likely to go, which is when actually, when every other option, you've taken your pills, you've gone to this therapist, you've, you know, gone on a retreat, you've listened to dolphins clicking at each other. I mean, you've done everything. Do you know what I mean? You've done everything and it's not fixed it. So then you go, okay, maybe it's the devil. That is as foolish as a human, it's always the devil. So there's an alertness that we need to have. But I would say that all of us experience it one way or another. Now some of you here might be, you might question that, especially if you're a Christian, you're thinking, are you saying that people who don't believe would have experienced this in some way? Well, let me just unpack it a little bit. The Bible does name Satan as specifically the enemy of Christians. In a, in a specific way, he is our enemy. But that doesn't mean that he's a friend to those who aren't. It doesn't work. He's the friend of none. He's ultimately, the Bible seems to suggest there's not much material on him, but the Bible seems to suggest that he was one of the highest angels and became proud by his own beauty and glory and wanted to be worshipped in the same way that God was worshipped. And the Bible hints at the fact that he seems to have taken a third of the angels with him who have become fallen demonic spirits. Now, in order for a third to follow him, he actually must have been pretty impressive. But this is who the Bible suggests he is. So he's fundamentally an enemy of God. Does not want God to get the glory he deserves as the creator. 
that all other angelic spirits, including him, are created, but he wants the glory that is due to the creator. And um, so he's an enemy of God, and also an enemy of those made in the image of God, all people. So he hates all of us because we're made in the image of God, and I guess are a reflection in that sense of who God is. And so he is no one's friend. The issue, why he, the, the reason why he is specifically an enemy of Christians is because um, he is threatened by Christians in a way that he is not by those who don't believe. Now I'm going to unpack that a little bit. If you're hearing you're someone you don't believe or you're not sure what you believe, I, I'm not just trying to be offensive here. I'm going to just try and, I'm trying to explain what the Bible teaches. The reason why you wouldn't be seen by Satan as a threat is because at the moment the Bible teaches that you are imprisoned um, in a sense, a little bit like the film The Matrix, where there's a kind of a prison going on, but you've got freedom of movement in it, it seems, and things, you know, you don't feel like you're imprisoned, but actually, then as your eyes begin to be open to the reality of what's going on, you realise, man, this whole thing's a, I'm totally imprisoned. Um, I'm sure many of you will know the, the idea of The Matrix, that actually the reality is, is that everyone is really, it's pretty nasty, <laughs> imprisoned in these kind of pods, and um, their whole reality is just, it's make-believe. Everything's going on in their minds, but it's a, it's a computer-generated thing. And it's, a, it's an actual prison. And, and it's only when people begin to wake up to what's going on and then actually escape from it that they really begin to get the attention from the enemy. And in much the same way, it's when people begin to wake up to spiritual realities and then, from that point, even are transferred out of Satan's kingdom into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. At that point, Satan's attention is focused on you because he's an intelligent military tactician. And he realises from that point, you're waking up, you're getting it. And he begins to aim his resources that way. That's how the Bible presents it. So once you're out, or once you're on your way out, that's when it really begins to flare up. But Satan, so Satan really is attempting to keep those who don't know, follow Jesus where they are and move those who do know and follow Jesus somewhere else, trying try to move them out of there because they are a threat. How are they a threat? How is a Christian a threat to Satan? Here's how. Because a Christian, when someone becomes a Christian, they don't just decide, okay, I'm going to ask Jesus to come into my heart and that's it. There's so much more to it than that. You are signing up to the purposes of God. And the purposes of God is that his fame and glory would be known among his creation. And he's chosen to show his glory and make his glory known through his people. And so when you become a Christian, you're, you're on a mission. You, you, you've been enlisted, if you like. You've been enlisted in the mission of God to make God's glory known among the nations. Satan hates that because he doesn't want God to be made known and glorified. He wants people to be kept from knowing the glory of God. As long as they're kept from knowing the glory of God, he is happy. And so in that sense, the priority of someone who doesn't believe isn't to concern themselves with the details of spiritual warfare. If you're here and currently you don't know Jesus, you've not repented of your sins and you're not following him, I would say don't make it your priority to understand every detail of this kind of spiritual warfare, but make it your priority to defect onto the right side. Make that your priority to escape the POW camp, to get the heck out of there. I want to put it in the plainest terms. Make that your priority. To move from where you currently are to a place where you are in the kingdom of God. Where you are, where you've been rescued out. It's so important. And the priority for the church is to get trained up so we can get the heck in there and help people get the heck out of there. Because we were once there, we know what it's like. 
I remember what it's like. I've been a Christian 20 years now. But I remember what it's like not knowing Christ. And I tell you, it's the differences between death and life. Darkness and light. It's absolute contrast. It really is. I want to, oh, it's urgent. This is really massive stuff. We mustn't understand evil in a vague way. We've got to get sharp on this. Listen to Lloyd-Jones again. He says this, We must get rid of the notion of abstract evil. There's no such thing. Evil is a personal being. There would be no evil in the world if there were no evil persons. And there would be no evil human being unless there were evil spiritual beings who entered into God's creation and tempted man and seduced him in the calamity of the fall. The evil state of the world today stems from that calamity. It's to, you kind of have a vague concept of evil. Oh, this kind of evil around. What is it? What, when we say, oh, it's evil. What, 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 when you experience evil, what are you experiencing? You're experiencing someone doing something. And the Bible teaches that the source, the inspiration of all evil behind wicked human deeds is Satan himself. So we're talking about a malicious, intelligent being who is out to cause as much harm and destruction as possible. Let me give you some examples of kind of these fiery darts. What is his aim? I'm going to say some things, and if you think, oh man, yeah, okay, then that you've, you've experienced the fiery darts of the evil one. Firstly, discouragement. Just a sense of what's the, what is the absolute point. I'm, I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to accomplish these things that are in my heart. It's just, this thing's a joke. Just a, you just think, do you know what? I'm just going to sit and watch telly for the next ten years. Because I can't do it. Anyone relate to that? It's discouragement. It's satanic. Or... Depression. I struggle with this, personally. This is an ongoing battle for me. Just, just go into these dips. Just hit these dips and it's like, man, it gets really, really foggy. Really foggy. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's often, it's not, it, little... Vague messages behind it that lead you there. It's not just a random fog. There's these little messages, the little subtle thoughts in the head, and they take you somewhere. It's not just psychological. Despair. When you lose all hope, when you think, you know what, it goes from discouragement to a whole different thing. Where you just there's, it's like. Your life, there's no longer, there's no longer that hope. You see, hope is life-giving. Because hope is always about the future. And it causes you to, you keep going because you, you see something. You see? So the, Bible, the Bible calls God the God of hope. And the God of encouragement. See? It's the opposite, it's stuff that's the opposite of God. I'm saying there's a personal, spiritual being behind it. But when there's no longer any, anything on the horizon that's kind of, it just looks really, everything looks really bleak. Satanic. Conformity. Well, you're no longer really free to be who you are, but you're just conforming. You're just believing, oh, what, what's the latest thing? Oh, okay, I believe that. How are people doing it? Oh, okay, I'll do that. And you just, you're conforming, whereas God says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be holy, which means be set apart and different. If you're conformed and you're trapped by that and you can't really express what you are, something's happened in your head. Fiery darts. 
Fiery darts. I'm, I'm trying to show you, this is daily stuff. This isn't just, you know, head spinning around and, you know, it's crazy stuff from the horror movies, satanic stuff. No, it's daily stuff that will keep you from where the Lord wants you to be. He wants you encouraged. He's the God of all encouragement. He wants you joyful because the joy of the Lord is your strength. He wants you filled with hope. He wants you holy and transformed. There's other things. Bitterness. Just where you screwed up with anger. You haven't dealt with anger. Resentment. Issues of the heart. Issues of the heart where just the poison gets in. You don't deal with it. Now these, we're, you know, obviously there's our own will involved in this and we're not just sitting there passively, but I'm showing you, trying to show you what the strategies are of Satan. God is a God of forgiveness. Impurity, impure things. You know, you just get a glimpse of something or you hear a conversation and before you know it, your mind's going down roads of such vile impurity, you can't even believe it yourself. You think, oh man, this is spiralling. What is this? What's going on here? Well, it's partly your own indwelling sin, but Satan's there, he's pouring fuel on the fire. Darkness, just dark stuff. Dark stuff, you know? Stuff you think, man, you just think, I'm glad no one knows that goes on in my head. Death. God is the God of life. The suicidal stuff and all that, just days and days from the pit. Days from the pit. This is heavy stuff. Like I say, all of us have some experience of some of that, whether we're a Christian or not. The interpretation is the key. What is it? Because if it's not Satan, I want to ask you, well, what is it? You might say, well, it's just life. Yeah, but what, let's get behind that. What is it? What actually is that? You need to reflect on this. It's very important. Let's look at what Paul says. How are we going to handle this stuff? Firstly, he says this, in all circumstances. This is where we've got to remove faith from just certain compartments of life. That's the faith bit. Sunday, gospel community. Okay, no. In all circumstances, he's saying, so he's saying when it comes to faith, Satan will fire in his darts into every area of life. He is not fussy. He is not selective. He will get you wherever you can. Yes, even on holiday. Okay? So in all circumstances, this is really, really important. There is no demilitarized zone. It's from a film, isn't it? No, okay. Um, (laughs) Leisure. Relationships, affections, hobbies, daydreams. Satan is interested. He's interested. Okay. You've got to know that. You've got to be awake to that. You're going to have to be alert to that. He says, in all circumstances, Paul says, take up. It's a very active verb. It's a very active verb. You need to take up the shield. Now, that's going to take some effort. You know, the shields he's got in mind, we think of the sort of uh, knights of the round table. Shields are sort of that sort of shape, and they look about that sort of big. The Roman shield was as big as a man. It was door size. So when they operated in their military square formation, they would move forward, literally, the guys on the side would have their shields out there, the guys in front there, other side shields there, back shields there, the guys in the middle, shields up top. So they were completely impenetrable. Paul says, take it up. Pick the thing up. There's a taking up of faith. It's so important that you understand this. It's something to do. The faith that you have, if you're a believer, has to be applied. You have to apply it right into the heart of situations if you're not going to get defeated 
in the warfare. Now, I know faith is a mysterious thing, even for believers. If you're here and you don't believe and you're thinking, I don't get how it works, you know what, nor do we. All right? The Christians don't either. We know that God gifts us with faith. We know that there's this sense to be this moment where we get it. It's a God thing. But there's also a sense of us throwing ourselves on God in faith. And it's a delicate, mysterious dynamic that we don't understand. Um, But all I can know, I can't do God's bit, but I can do mine. And my bit is I take up this shield of faith. I move forward in it. Once I've got it, put it to use. Put your faith to use. We are not automatically protected. Imagine if a Roman soldier's sitting there, you know, and... He's got his shield next to him and someone says, incoming, you know, the darts are coming. He says, no problem, I've got my shield. Is that enough? Of course it's not. It's not enough to have a shield. The darts are coming in. Get your shield and put the thing up. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself with a fiery arrow inside your heart. All because you didn't pick up your shield and use it. Now, let's look at this shield of faith. This is a really big deal, shield. It's a really, you've got to understand it. Because unbelief is our primary sin. The Bible teaches that our biggest sin as humans is unbelief. More than all the other sins. That's at the root of all of the sins. Because Satan comes and says, did God really say? Remember in the Garden of Eden, everything's perfect, everything's beautiful. Eve is there, her husband Adam is next to her. Satan comes and says, did God really say you can't eat any of the fruit? And what he's starting to do is undermine God's word and cause her faith in God's word to shake. That is one of Satan's most favourite tools. To cause you to shake and waver in what God has said. Unbelief is a big deal. Satan comes against God's simple word and completely rocks our confidence whilst offering other alternatives, delightful and seductive ones. Now, how do we fight unbelief? How do we deal with that? Which, you know, we even, even as believers, we recognise oh, it's a real battle. Well, faith is a very simple thing. And here's, here's how it works. It's the exercise of trust based on the trustworthiness of the person being trusted. I'll say that again. It's the exercise of trust based on the trustworthiness of the person, God, being trusted. Faith is really not about faith, it's about God's character. What is he like? What has he shown himself to be through salvation history, the things he's done, through what is written in his word, primarily through who he's shown himself to be in Jesus? What is he like? Is he trustworthy? Can I put my trust in? Will he really provide for me? As we looked at at the start of the service today with these potential worries and fears, will he really provide? Will he really come through? Will he really stay with me forever and never forsake me? Will he really forgive me even that sin? Will he, you, these are the issues. Can I trust him? He said he would in the Bible, but what has he shown himself to be? Is he a trustworthy character? Sometimes Christians get caught up with faith. It's like, oh, I need more faith, I need more faith. And it's almost like faith becomes the big thing. No, the Lord is the big thing. If I can just see him, get my mind renewed on who he is, and and exercise trust in him, I'm living by faith. We can overcomplicate it. It's actually a very, very simple thing. Faith is rooted in the character and promises of God, which is why the Bible is so key. Because God is faithful enough to have committed to writing what he's like. Because this demonstrates that he's unchangeable. I, the Lord, do not change. 
He says in the Bible, he is immutable. This means his character never changes. He doesn't wax and wane with various fads and phases. He doesn't really get into stuff and then, oh no, that's so passe, I'm into this now. No, I, the Lord, do not change. He remains the same, utterly trustworthy, 100%. So what is this shield? Well, do you know what? He's the shield. Even don't get what's the shield? no the, the shield of faith. What is it? It's really saying I trust you. Listen to what David says in the Psalms: "The Lord is my strength and my shield." Oh, it's, it's putting the Lord up, holding up the Lord against the lies. That's how it works. Psalm one hundred nineteen: "You're my hiding place and my shield." Incoming, the Lord. That's how it works. Okay, incoming, Lord, hold it up. I'm hiding. That, that, that's that's the shield of faith. That's how it works. Psalm 144. He is my steadfast lover, my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge. So now, once we realise it's the Lord, it's no surprise that Paul says, when you hold up your shield of faith, you are able to extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. There is a universal effect of this. Why? Because it's the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's the Lord without beginning and without end. It's the Lord holy, holy, holy. It's the rock of ages. It's the ancient of days. It's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. It's the Lord. And this changes everything. Everything. I want to put it to you that one of the two main ways we struggle as believers is, number one, is doubts. We, we battle with doubts. Even you maybe here as, a, as someone who's, who's not a believer and you think, oh, if only I could just deal with these doubts. I want to say as a believer, we battle with doubts. We battle with doubts. Doubts come in. Doubts affect us. You know, how can God love me and yet allow this to happen? It's a, you just battle with it. This has just happened. God has said he loves me. And how do these two things come together and the doubt can get into your spirit or... Am I just making all this up? I've never had that one. It's just me. You know? You're walking around the room, sort of praying, and now you're thinking, what if, like, none of this is real? <laughs> Flip. Look at my life to Jesus. You know, and it can, you have to work out, okay, how do I, how do I deal with this? You have to, these are things that can just suddenly come into your head. Or... Yeah, I guess this is, this, is, this is the same, but it's kind of unpacked a bit more. What if I give my life to Christ and then at the end, it all turned out to be nonsense? Wow. Or how could someone like me expect to be forgiven anyway? I mean, the things I've done, or the things I think, or the things I like. How could I expect? And these doubts can come in. Now this is where the comfort of scripture comes in. So importantly for us. Because I, I mean surely if ever there was a time Jesus himself would have doubted. It was when he was going through the terrible mockings and um, opposition he went through just before he was crucified. I mean what would, you know you think, oh, what would be going on in your mind at that point? You, you're God's anointed, you're God's own son and you're thinking, wow I thought, wow, you know, what about the promises of protection and he's being spat on and he's being abused, you think, man. But actually, in Isaiah 50, which was written hundreds of years before Jesus, we get an insight into what Jesus was thinking as he's going through it. So if we look at the next, we could look at the next slide. 
This is is inside the mind of Christ. This is a prophecy predicting inside the mind of Christ. Listen to what he says. Um, The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore I have not been disgraced, therefore I have set my face like a flint. I know I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. This is so confident. It's so single-mindedly assured in the midst of beating, in the midst of desertion, in the midst of betrayal. There is this rock-like confidence. It's incredible the things that he says because it's in seasons like this, though we'll never know this, but it's the hard seasons that we can begin to doubt. But look what's happening in Jesus' mind. He's saying, it's the, he's saying the Lord God helps him. You think, how? He's, you, God didn't do anything. That's what it looks like. There's your one and only son being accused, betrayed, um, despised, being harangued. And uh, you think, what, what do you mean the Lord God helps him? Well, here's how the Lord God helped him. Not, my, not by delivering him, but by strengthening him. That is massively important. Because so often when Christians go through hard times, they begin to doubt. God, why aren't you just stopping this now? God, why doesn't it just finish now? Now sometimes God does deliver because he's a God of deliverances, but he's also a God who strengthens. So sometimes it's not that he's not going to help you by pulling you out or by stopping it, but he will strengthen you. And you will come through it. And it won't just be you come through it bruised, battered and bitter. You'll come through it glorious. You will, you, will not, you will be different from how you were. If you let the Lord deal with your heart in it, you will come through it and you'll think, man alive, I wouldn't ask for that again. And I don't know why it happened, but what? Look at me. God has done something incredible. The Lord God helped you. The Lord God helped you. And then he says, who is my adversary? See, he recognises there's an enemy assault going on. He's assaulted with charges of guilt and false accusations, but he knows their voices will be silenced. He knows, he's seeing beyond it. He knows it's going to come to nothing. He's in the midst of the pressure and the fray, but he knows it's going to come to nothing. He knows it through and through. You see, this is the victory of Jesus. This is a massive insight for us. Satan was defeated through that. Through the beatings and the sufferings of Christ, Jesus, uh, Satan was defeated. He's not yet destroyed, but he was defeated on that day and has been a defeated foe ever since. He is defeated and he knows it. But he was defeated through the cross. He was defeated through weakness. He was defeated through humility. He was defeated through a a lamb that didn't even open its mouth but went silently to the slaughter. Jesus, he was defeated. He was defeated in that moment. There's an insight there for you and for me. Because the things that people tend to hold up as evidence that there's no God, the terrible sufferings, the awful things that go on, and they say, surely, surely there can't be a God. I would say very often God will even use those things to defeat Satan. He will use the terrible things. And you think, how? Well, I want to ask you a question. What is there in your life that shouts out there's no God? What is it that's happened to you or those around you that shouts out there is no God? Maybe abuse. Maybe abuse happened to you. 
And you think, and all the horrific consequences and all the terrible questions and all the pain and all of the stuff involved in that. I want to dare to suggest to you today, I want to dare to suggest to you today, that even, even that, God's redemptive hand can even use what went on as, a, as something of a key to, to break and, and actually smash, smash the murderous designs of Satan for your life. Actually, that, actually through, through leading you to the cross where you see Jesus utterly abused, and leading you to the place where you realise he was abused there. Why? Because of our sin. The things we do wrong. And to go from that place to a place of not just receiving Christ's forgiveness, but forgiving those who abused you. Satan's work will be destroyed in your life. I dare to proclaim it. I dare, I tell you, I'm saying, how can you, I dare to proclaim it. Because he's done it in my life. That's why. It's not just talk. It's not just talk. Or what else? Maybe disappointment. Maybe just disappointment. As you bring that to him, really bring it to him, and you see Jesus at the cross crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's disappointment. It's healing. There's healing that comes. And Satan's plans to make you bitter and twisted and dishevelled are broken by the blood of Jesus. Broken. He is defeated. He flees in that moment. Maybe bereavement. Whatever it may be, he has a way of redeeming. None of these things are too terrible for Jesus to deal with. And then finally, there's the thoughts that we can have even as Christians. Terrible thoughts. Blasphemous thoughts. Horrific things. You think, I'm grateful no one sees into my mind. You know. There are those seasons where suddenly you find yourself assaulted. You think, I can't believe I just was thinking that. It's, it's... Some people are defeated by them. They assume, well, it's just me. It's what I am. I'm, you know, all that Christian stuff obviously didn't mean anything. It's just what I am. I'm just... Some people even, even but it's, the whole time it's arrows, it's arrows, it's firing them in. It's horrific, terrible thoughts. You think, ah, oh, and you think, it's me, it's horrific. It's, it's just what I am, and so then you even end up picking it up, and the flaming arrow becomes like a torch, and then, it, and then you, well, you then use that to find your way through, and the thing becomes a guide for your life. So the terrible thoughts you're having, it begins to shape, this is what I am, this is my destiny, this is my... And what's happened is, one of Satan's flaming arrows has become your torch for your life to show you the way through, when God's saying, hey, my word is meant to be a for your feet but you've believed you've believed this you've taken this on you've taken it as yours it's not it's come from outside it's horrible don't be picking it up and using it as a torch it doesn't work look at what Isaiah 50 verses 10 and 11 say who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant let him who walks in darkness and has no light so when you're like, ah oh man, I'm in the middle of the darkness. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches. Oh, I'll have that. That will find me a way through. Walk by the light of your fire and by the torches you've kindled. 
this you'll have from my hand, you'll lie down in torment. Don't do it. Don't do it. God's got a word for you. God's got a light for you. God's got a hope for you. You haven't got to find your way through. Trust in the name of the Lord. Rely on your God. He is faithful. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but he will have the light of life. He doesn't lie. Trust him. Amen? Amen. I think we need to respond in some way. How do we have time, Davey? Okay. I never quite know what to do in these moments, but I never get the hang of it, do I? Uh, I just feel, you know, there's a, there's a day and a, and a, and a, and a, and a moment in, in saying, you know what? I mean, I think for some... For some of you, you need to get the heck out of the POW camp you're in. You need to get saved. You need to find Christ. You just, you do. And he loves you. He's for you. He's laid down his life for you. He's opened up a way for you. He's risen from the dead and alive and he's calling you. Come to him. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Others of you... Believers, you know, Jesus has just wanted to just bring the gospel truth into your heart today in a fresh way and say, don't be captive to the flaming darts of the evil one. Don't be captive. And very often we need each other in this. Remember the picture of the Romans in their square formation? I mean, imagine if one guy just went, nah. (laughs) Nah, you guys crack on. No, there's a massive gap there now. Or like, well, you go that way, I'll go this way. We'll all kind of meet up at some point. No, let's walk together. Let's walk in step. Yeah? Because we're covering We've got each other's backs. We're covering each other. We're for each other. We're in this together. Why don't we take the bread and the wine? Why don't we, as we take the bread and the wine, find someone and say, look, I've got an arrow in me. <gasps> I haven't really realised, but today I've seen it. I've been just believing this, or I've just been... Been power, I've been limping, I've been, you know, just be honest. Just be honest. Thank God we haven't got to be heroes. Jesus is the hero. <laughs> what a relief. We haven't got to be, you know, we can just be followers of Jesus and really needing him hanging on to his ankle. Uh, you know, that's just what we are. That's how it works. We can do that. But also, I want to say that if you just know today, you, you, you want to come to Jesus, you want to experience new life, then please come and find me. I'll... I'll I'll take you over to the bread and wine table together. We'll, we'll take communion. We'll pray together. We'll pray together and get hold of Jesus together. We'll do that. Or if not me, I don't, I don't mind. Get hold of one of your mates or something. But just say, look, I want to give my life to Jesus fully. I, wanna, I want today to be that moment where I say, Jesus, I'm following you. I'm turning away from all the nonsense, the darkness, the sin. I'm following after you. Amen.